You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Folks, I hope you are continuing to ride the high as for two weeks in a row now. Maybe your Mondays was a little smoother. The coffee was better. It hit quicker. Two victory Mondays in a row. Again, the Cleveland Browns with a big victory Sunday in Dallas. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about it with, from the Around the NFL, Mr. Mark Sessler. Breakthrough here. You know, some of the good, some of the bad, both sides of the ball here. A couple of thoughts here on the game. And, you know, maybe, folks, I understand. You guys are excited, and you should be. Um, But three and one is three and one. And, hey, let's not turn the page till at least, you know, maybe tomorrow when week four is actually over. Two days, Locked on Browns is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it is made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching, go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Mark, it was it was an interesting one, and I would say you know obviously everybody knows it started good. You know uh, Odell to Jarvis, um, then you saw the potential of what this Cowboys offense could be. Then much similar to how it went in Week Three in the victory at home against Washington, you got timely turnovers, and this is the key. You know it's great to get turnovers, but you have to capitalize. And then you continue to put together a first half mark and you, you close it out with a field goal. And the announcing was a little off yesterday, guys. I do agree there where they were playing for the field goal, knowing full well they were getting the ball back to start the second half. Um, and you lose Nick Chubb, Mark. And I, honestly, this is where I kind of didn't think. And look, you know, losing Nick for what could be four to six weeks is a big deal. When a player usually screams in pain like that and you realize it's not an Achilles ACLs, they just go, and you don't usually see you know a guy writhing in pain. So what made me think that that was you know either some sort of deep bone bruise or something of the nature that it did end up being. But the offensive line, and I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, they could have gone and said, "Hey, Sessler Lloyd, you're in next," and there would have been holes there for yards to be had. These guys are starting to impose their will, um, and you get and you know that video that came out the other day, uh, you know, of the touchdown against Washington, where you know Baker tapped Jarvis and Odell. Hey, it's coming, it's coming, and it's not that I don't believe these guys don't want to win, and but this is where everybody, these guys, look, sure, I want to win, but I also want to put up numbers. I want to feel like I am part of this. And yesterday, those guys got to feel that way. Just a great day as the Browns were able to drop, uh, basically half a hundy down in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I honestly. I would start that as a like a lifelong longtime Browns fan that you know, I'm working during that and you are too. We're doing a lot of different stuff, but I'm kind of like watching this game unfold and it is separate from reality to me. It, I think the experience as a Browns fan for so long is that you suffer through what Cleveland um, does during the daytime, typically at you know 1 p.m. Eastern week after week. And then you, uh, on Sunday night or Monday night, would watch teams that have earned the position to be on those uh, primetime games because they're longtime dynasties with uh, successful embedded coaches and GMs and star quarterbacks. And it just feels like a different league, uh, or it can. And it has for me in the past. And I was watching this game, and there's something different about playing the Dallas Cowboys than, say, the Jacksonville Jaguars. We all get that. 
I just couldn't imagine really what was going on. And I don't think it really even started to sink in until I woke up in the middle of the night or maybe uh, early this morning. And so, you know, going through it is a little different than other weeks because it was so far from the norm. It was such an unusual game. And you mentioned it, just how involved everyone got. It kind of answered all these criticism that lingered from last season. Um, with Odell Beckham, for instance, even into the early weeks of this year, is does he fit here? Uh, can he and Baker Mayfield get on the same page? And it's like, yes, they can, but he can get on the same page with, oh, look at this. It's going to be Jarvis Landry to start the game, a gutsy you know, gadget play with one of the best uh, arms in the league and Jarvis Landry, who's not a typical quarterback. I saw when the Chubb injury happened, I thought to myself, well, this is very typical Cleveland Browns. Um, but instead, this is a team that, you know, when you get what happened with Dearness Johnson, I mean, and you can say that we they could plug us in there. I don't know if I would have gone 95 <laughs> yards at 7.3 <laughs> yards per clip. I, I think that there's a product here of um, Stump Mitchell being a really good running backs coach and Bill Callahan taking some of the linemen we had last year and making them look twice as good, if not more, uh, taking Jed Wills and, and, a lot on his plate as a rookie um, week after week, the metrics, the analytics say he's playing well, he's playing well to our eye. He's not, he's not um, a problem on any level. In fact, he's becoming a more positive factor. The line is just meshing so well. It works so well with the running backs that I trust the team to have found the right type of support and depth behind Nick Chubb. All the parts play together. Well, it was not a perfect outing in the sense that I, I spent the latter half of the game wondering, um, suspicious of a total epic collapse and what that would look like. But in the end, this is another week where their star players, and in this case, happily, it was Odell Beckham, operated as a star player, not someone who's being paid a certain amount, amount, of, amount of money to go to Cleveland for a couple of years before heading elsewhere. They fit in the system right now. It's a big victory for Kevin Stefanski, who, uh, to me, you know, over the last three weeks has made it crystal clear what he wants this team to be. Um, and we, we kind of felt it would be a shootout and it was, but I, I would have looked at a score like 40 to 25 and thought, yeah, that could be Dallas. They could win on that because Dallas's offense was equally unstoppable, but Cleveland's operating in a way that I really never recall as a fan. And I mean, I'm including Bernie Kosar and Lindy Infante and Webster Slaughter and Kevin Mack and Ernest Biner. It was a different type of football back then. And they were, in 1987, for instance, one of the mo most interesting offenses around and fun to watch and considered essentially an air attack after you know, the years previous not being more you know, focused on the run. Cleveland can do a little bit of it all. And I, and I don't have a problem with Baker Mayfield not needing to be what Dak Prescott has been so far. I mean, he's been, I, wanna, I don't want to say hemmed in, just playing according to to, to what they're trying to get accomplished. And, you know, to your point of him putting his arms around Jarvis and Odelli a week ago after everyone else was having the fun. I mean, you know, you can't promise those things are going to happen, but here we are a week later and those two players were the stars of that game and the, and the beating heart of that, of that team. So it's, it's a happy victory for what it means for kind of everyone involved. And there's still some things to clean up, but our job is to, to uh, observe and enjoy um, that's their job to clean that stuff up. Yeah, and what I took away from it, and even with that early call of you know Jarvis, you know, in the reverse pass to Odell, a number one, 
you're in a game where you know most likely you're looking at pinball numbers to walk out of it with a win. A number two, maybe you've got two guys who say, man, we, we, we want to be involved a little bit more. Um, it's great that we're winning, but, you know, and look, that's always going to happen. It doesn't matter. And it's not that guys are not bought in or dialed in. Everybody wants to get their piece of the pie. So you wonder if maybe, A, that was one of these calls where you said, we got to give them something they're not going to be ready for. A number two, Jarvis to Odell. These two can both look at each other, kind of give each other a woo like, all right, yeah, we're in. We're in. Um, I do want to go to this one here. And, you know, obviously they ran the reverse more than once yesterday. And that, you know, the, the one to Odell late. And this mark is similar to where we were talking about last week, you know, with the Kareem Hunt reception where he was falling down, the ball was behind him, caught it. Um, normal Cleveland Browns luck and the way things have gone and maybe the tides are turning. Alden Smith either A, tackles Odell for a 12-yard loss, or as he's throwing him to the ground, somehow the ball comes loose. It was the right call. Everything was going one way. That's why you do this. You know, you, you, you run the reverse because you know everything is going to be shifted to one side. But you do that, and you get Odell. And once you turn that corner, and the one thing you tried to tell everybody in the little bit we got to hear in Zooms or whatever it is, you know, what's different this year is I can run. And, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't you know, like, like a knock. It was like I was, I was banged up last year, you know, and you know, obviously not putting a percentage on how healthy he was. But he just feels free, and he can open it up you know, basically put the car on the highway, so to speak. And you got to see that there. And with him and with Odell, it's you know, it's always been the, when he's popping, he's popping. And it can go for three, four, five weeks at a clip. So, I mean, you got him out, you got him going. And potentially at the utmost perfect time, as you're going to have to, you know, put Nick Chubb down for a while here. Look, it's Kareem is no slack. Everybody agrees. But, you know, you want some more teeth to that lineup. And Odell coming off an effort like this should probably do that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's not just talk from Odell Beckham about his speed, too. They tracked that run. I'd have to go look at the exact figures, but I think it was – now, I'm not talking about when Odell Beckham catches the ball and runs, but when he's been used, as he has in the past, as a runner, that was the fastest ball-carrying speed he's had in three years, I believe it was. I think it was uh, close so, to 21 miles an hour, I want to say. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and that's something that that's, you know, that's just not happening with lots of players around the league to begin with. But it was an incredibly gutsy um, and trustworthy play call by Kevin Stefanski. But Next Gen Stats um, had it targeted for a two-yard gain based on how it went with him having to kind of loop further and further back um, as Alden Smith was suddenly appearing like a, evil front door in front of him that he was not going to be able to walk through. And they ticketed at next gen stats as a less than 1% chance of, of a touchdown. I mean, and it looked like that and you're watching it thinking, all right, well, this is a busted play. How are they going to get out of this? And then suddenly, and I really, when I I'm trying to think of moments like this, maybe run Willie run when Willie green took off against the Falcons and got them <laughs> into their last playoff. Right. And that was not a special player, but he was the right player at that moment. And it created this moment for Browns fans that since then, how many have there been? Maybe you look at the 2007 season. There just haven't been a lot of truly special players in Cleveland either, on offense especially. And this was a, a unique NFL star who is happy to be in Cleveland, it, it appears right now, um, doing things that make everyone realize this marriage can work. And I just want to be optimistic about it because it's like, you're right that if, 
he starts to get into a groove and the whole offense is clearly in a groove. Um, you can look at someone like Kareem Hunt, who, you know, openly talked about being depressed watching his chiefs, his ex chiefs teammates roll into the Super Bowl and win a Lombardi trophy when he was probably wondering what his future would even be in Cleveland and this front office and coaching staff. And we know that there have been uh, ups and downs with Kareem Hunt. I think that that's like a player that they've said, you don't have a lot of more chances. You're going to have to be a model citizen, but on the field, he's a perfect fit for this offense. And, and they still have depth at that position, um, which makes the Chubb loss during a critical, you know, heart of the season um, time period, a little less cutting. I, I would never, um, I, they're not going to be the same without Nick Chubb. They just simply won't because I think that, You've learned if you're a coach in the NFL that dealing with Nick Chubb is going to be a massive headache. And if you let up for one minute, he could be gone. But you feel that way about Kareem Hunt too, because Kareem Hunt fits in perfectly in this run scheme. So overall, I mean, I even look at someone like Harrison Bryant where I'm like, this is a draft steal based on what we're seeing. His blocking for a tight end, usually one of the things that you know, you draft these guys and they're really good at one element of the game. Either where yep. you're a you're a blocker and we can trust you to do that, and maybe you grow as a pass catcher depending on what offense you're in, or you're a really athletic pass catcher that we see as someone that can make a lot of per, you know a ton of productivity in the in, in the offense, but we can't trust you to block. Harrison Bryant just looks complete to me. Um, that's unusual to find that, and so th- there's a lot of pieces just working together really well and. I mean, I can only think of one or two games or seasons where the offensive line has looked this in concert. So I think, you know, to Kevin Stefanski's fortune, he rolled in here with a certain requirements around, you know, certain players for this scheme. And he ran it, he landed on a, on a loaded roster, but one that based off last year, people thought, well, we don't trust these guys to play together. And the coaching staff has found a way to get them to play together. And everything we thought we'd see a year ago, um, is probably even more enjoyable right now because of what fans went through a year ago. Um, and to see that somehow they didn't blow everything up entirely. And there is this thought in the back of the mind that they might have a really good coach. And it's been decades since that's been the case. And I think the thing you take away from Coach Stefanski is um, and and look, there's no way around it. I mean, yes, there were a lot of individual great talents within that room, and this is what it was going to take. And this is, you know, obviously where Freddie Kitchens just wasn't there yet. Um, Coach Stefanski, you know, and has able to take in them all and mix them together. And you know, look, he can use two thousand recipes, but it still may taste like garbage. He's been able to take, you know, everything within the kitchen and find a way to get some success with it. Um, look, three and one, you're not giving anything back. You're a quarter of the way through the season. Um, you know, a lot of people figured two and two um, would have been good. You know, we figured, you know, Cincinnati, Washington would be winnable games. Uh, but you go on down, you know, to Dallas and, you know, Dallas probably still going to win the NFC East and probably win it pretty easily. Um, but you ain't giving it back. It's an easy one. You need it three and one through a quarter. We're going to flip it up. We'll talk a little bit on the defensive side of the ball here with Mark Sessler from the Around the NFL podcast. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. Dearness Johnson. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay 
every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's biggest stars with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques and learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many, many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. Now, Mark, on the defensive side of the ball, and I believe it was the first series they started with a three and out, huge, huge opportunity for them. Then it got a little shaky. Then they were able to create the turnovers. You've got two really good players. Miles Garrett, as far as, you know, your stud pass rusher. And for everybody, you know, this is the week he earned it. Guys, he's been good (laughs) pretty much since the day he got here. Um, But getting your impact, third straight strip sack fumble in a row, third, third game in a row with that. Denzel Ward, you know, playing physical, big interception there. Um, we can talk about them, and I'm sure you have some thoughts there. But, Mark, my thought is, as far as the secondary and the back half, the safety position, like you see Andrew Sandejo come through with a great effort and essentially blow up a screen that could have led to a bunch of yards. And then there's Andrew Sandejo, who I believe now is either 32 or 33 years old, trying to manipulate, you know, the back half, the back end with the athletes that Dallas is running at the wide receiver position, we're maybe asking too much of some guys. And look, we all know the injury of Grant Delpit led to some of this, but you got a young buck, like a kid like Sheldrick Redwine, who was kind of holding his own over the last six games of the 2019 season. And, you know, I feel bad for Andrew Sandejo because this is probably not where he is bread and butter anymore. It was never his bread and butter. Let's be honest. Um, so you're asking a lot of this guy at, you know, such an older age and, you know, this guy was never a prime athlete. If he was, he wouldn't have been a journeyman until he finally got some playing time and created a career for himself. So they're in a tough spot there. And this really maybe isn't essentially Andrew Sendejo's fault. Yeah, he's, I think he's out of, you know, he's in a bad position because you mentioned Delpit and, you know, they have Ronnie Henderson, I think played like 11 snaps or something yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, in, and in general, pretty well in those 11 snaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I think they like his versatility. I, I think we need to see how he fits into that defense in the weeks going forward, but we knew that that wasn't going to be like plug and play, um, right away. And I would say, I think one thing about this team that they show patience, um, with injured players, number one, uh, which is not true of some teams around the league and it can create a disaster, especially during a weird year like this. But also with uh, easing certain players into certain roles, and I, I just think that that's um, that's a positive, not a negative. Um, it probably bit them a little bit, uh, bit them a lot, you know, in uh, in weeks one through four on defense. I mean, Dallas is a special case. Are you going to run into a group of wide receivers like that again? Um, I don't think so. I think that game <laughs> took on a life of its own, also where it you know shootouts are weird and like would that happen again to if these teams played again next week i think it might because that's the way that's like dallas's only kind of bread and butter um way of operating and they're really good at it and cleveland's got some like some issues on that side of the ball but i would say when it comes to someone like redwine you've got to maybe take a look at that and some other players and some combinations i mean some of the teams coming up you know you're playing the cults next week you're not going to get what's happening with the Dallas Cowboys. It's going to be a different look, but I think it's a, it's a, it's an in progress defense that, you know, you're counting on miles Garrett, who is a defense. I would say probably the leading defensive player of the year candidate right now. I mean, he's creating, he's created a number of turnovers 
I think it's six or something like that turnover worthy plays that, you know, the league leaders had that last year at the end of the season. So, you know, we, and, and Miles Garrett probably was heading in that direction before the helmeted incident a year ago. So uh, he's just consistently special. Um, it, it's another week where someone like Denzel Ward makes a key play and he did again. And it, you know, it's, you can count on these guys. You can count on them week to week. And, you know, if you can count on two or three guys like that, you can make, you can make, um, you can make things work. I mean, they're generating turnovers weeks in a row. The two key fumbles back to back on those drives help that game a lot. So, you know, it's, if you're not a great defense, but you can create chaos in some, in some turnover scenarios, I think you're at least going to get by. I mean, I look around the NFL, there are a lot of bad defenses right now. And I mean, the Dallas defense is we 10 times worse than what Cleveland's dealing with to the point where, you know, Mike Nolan is already on a burning hot seat. So I think we knew going into the year that the back half of Cleveland's defense had issues and they do have issues. So it's not a surprise. It's not an extreme disappointment. And that probably will be a focus of growth over the next uh, off season. Uh, and certainly, you know, and, and personnel to be brought in and, and going to your point about, you know, injuries and things of that nature. And look, I mean, you know, for everybody who wants to talk about Grant Delpit, I mean, you look at what these other teams have been through here and, you know, Mac Wilson at the time when it happened over the summer, Figured that's it. All right. We'll see Mac in 2021. Jacob Phillips. <clears throat> and it was weird because we knew almost everything that was going on with Mac Wilson and his injury. We knew nothing of Jacob Phillips. And here he is back. And he had a fantastic three-play sequence <clears throat> in the third quarter. You know, obviously a big opportunity for him. And I do agree with you that this is maybe where they are smart with, okay, you might be able to play this week, but you're not playing 60 snaps. We're going to get you out there. We're going to get you back slowly acclimated and see where we are from here. But, you know, if anything, Jacob Phillips looked like a player that maybe, you know, can, should get, you know, a tick going in to the following week there. Um, and Terrence Mitchell and Terrence Mitchell can, remains like, you know, again, death taxes, Terrence Mitchell. He's always there um, around the ball. Um, even if he gives up receptions, he makes the tackle. And, but the thing is, is even if this defense can't be perfect, which they will not be this year, they're just not trending that way. If you can create some turnovers, it's going to mask a lot of deficiencies. Yeah, I think that's got to be the name of their game. And, you know, if, if the offense can operate, you know, to some degree with the, what they've done over the, over the, the past three weeks, if that's, if that's sort of their base uh, roadmap, then that's going to help a defense too. And, and whenever you get pass rush, it helps your coverage, obviously. Um, I, I think the thing is that as someone who wants to enjoy Brown's football, like there's a lot to enjoy right now. And there's always going to be things to nitpick. Uh, I'd rather have um, a half big defense in 2020 than in 1970. And I think that they can get <laughs> exactly. by with it. Right. I think you can get by with it. I mean, I, again, you look around the league and the, you know, the Colts who are they're playing next week. That's one of the few defenses around the league. That's consistently shut down the run consistently um, made it tough on quarterbacks. And it's not like all star players, but they're just playing really, really well together. And they have over the course of the season. And, but there's only two or three teams you can say that about. So um, Cleveland's specialty is on offense. And I would rather that be the case just as a human being, like the way that they operate right now, the way that they run the ball, I think that can help your defense so much. And so, I mean, they're staying on the, on the, they're, they're not, they're not a three and out type offense. And so you're going to give your, you don't, what happened yesterday, that defense got so tired. 
it got so exhausted. And like, you're just not going to get caught in that kind of a game over and over. I think that led to, you know, fourth quarter, four straight, three straight touchdown drives for the Cowboys before that very dangerous final interception drive. And so, I mean, it just showed it was an 11 play drive for 77 yards, a seven play drive for 79 and 11 for 80. That's a fourth quarter where then you tack on a nine. I'm looking, that's, I'm not good at math, but that's 22, 31, 38 snap, 38 plays. They had to play in the fourth quarter alone um, against high octane athletes. So it showed. Absolutely. And I think they ran, I, I want to say it was maybe 40 total plays they ran in the fourth quarter, something of that nature. Um, crazy. And it's not going to And Look, I mean, and th- that's the thing with the Colts coming up this week is Colts don't score a ton. So, I mean, you know, if you can find a way to get a couple of, you know, easy ones, whatever you're in this game, which will make for certainly, you know, an interesting matchup here. Um, we're going to go uh, move on here to one more segment. We'll talk a little bit about the league. Obviously, you know, the league went through a lot this week as far as, you know, handling COVID, that type of stuff. Um, we've had our first head coach in the NFL dismissed to this point. Um, you know, business is not going to slow down just because it's different times in the NFL. And we'll continue through here with Mark Sessler on your Locked On Browns. Tuesday edition. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they were reliably low. RockAuto.com. As we have a bug go in the throat, so we'll go right from there. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like the airlines do. RockAuto.com, again, is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to RockAuto.com right now. And see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And our folks over at Built Bar, they've got a brand new baby. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Break through your wall, whether it's a mental or physical wall. Break through it with Go every day. Easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. Put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Your golf bag to power through the back nine or put it in your pocket to get through the day. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. Three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate caramel, and chocolate mint. Built Go combines energy gel with Collagen protein. Collagen protein is a fast absorbing, so it gets into the system fast. Plus, it's easy on the stomach. Built Go is loaded with good stuff to ignite my work. Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. Built Go then kicks it to me going strong. B6, B12, 10,000% of your daily percentage of B12. Collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look better. Go to... Biltco, use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 10% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED for 30% off at Biltco.com. Let's go. Mark, it was a scary week in the NFL um, with obviously everything with the Tennessee Titans. Um, Then you get the news of Cam Newton and the league juggling everything from there. 
And it seems, look, there were plans put in place, you know, obviously the heavier practice squad roster, the NFL was expecting this sort of thing, but there was a time this week where, you know, and look, we all, this kind of big thing. This is what we do. This is, we cover football where everybody, you know, maybe you got a little nervous, everybody kind of sitting back, you know, shaking a little bit. Um, but there were going to be some flare-ups. We'll see where Tennessee graduates from here. Can they get into the building Wednesday and maybe proceed to a game on Sunday? But it got a little hairy this week. And, you know, and I'll give the league credit for this because they kind of anticipated it and they'd be fools not to. This was going to be a possibility somewhere, somehow along the way. Yeah, I think it just mirrors sort of everything else that we're experiencing everywhere and you know there's a very human element to any NFL team you've got you know 60 70 type players if you include your practice squad and others and injured reserve type guys who are working out a bunch of coaches um, staff and the testing seals up uh, you know definitive results for most of the days that, that they're functioning but there are little chinks in the armor here and there and the Cam Newton one, I think, obviously is going to impact um, our perception differently because it's a quarterback. And it's, you know, up to now, it's been like, hey, third string linebacker, test positive, will be out of action for a amount of time. And then, but, but then suddenly it's like, all right, so, you know, and, and we're, we're taping this on Monday, but suddenly Brian Hoyer is going to be starting for the Patriots. Um, that feels, problematic to me that feels like there's a dose of inequality in there and I mean if it happened in reverse and it were Patrick Mahomes people would be you know equally freaking out it just it gets real when it becomes star players um, but it does and I don't think coronavirus isn't really interested in anyone's statistics or PFF score I from another angle the, where I got gloomy was the Saturday night um, New Orleans Saints reporting where Michael fullback Burton. Michael Burton right tested positive, and then you ride through the night and you find out, you know, okay, look, it was a false positive. But the real-life impact of that, as Sean Payton mentioned, after a game in which they got down 14 nothing to the Lions and had to kind of work their way out of it, and they did, and they won, but the team were huge chunks of the team who had to be tested in a second wave uh, were up till, you know, 1 to 3 in the morning. And in, yeah. in a Detroit hotel, and I think that's all, that's all fine. And you can say, and, and you know, and Peyton and all the coaches, I think have been really good about saying, especially like Mike Tomlin, we don't care. We're just going to do whatever we have to do. I mean, it's not a time to really probably. Yes, but overly... Peyton also understands he had it. So like he right. understands he like, does. this is really, really scary. He does. And I randomly um, patted him on the back at the combine in like a packed bar days before he got it. And I was thinking, did I get it? But no, I didn't, didn't pass on to me apparently. But I will, I will say like that, for all the, you have to be real about it and be tough and just see it through and treat your team that way. I mean, there, anyone who's talked to groups of players, I think they're scared. There's some that are scared that are concerned about the idea of like, you know, a Patriots Chiefs game where you just hope everyone is in the clear. I mean, testing suggests that now, and that's fine. Um, and they're young and they're healthy and they're going to have a better chance of being symptom free and all this other business, but it's just this weird X factor that's very different than saying we know teams are going to get injured. I mean, suddenly, uh, you know, I would imagine Cam Newton. We don't know how he feels, but it's like this is the first game where, like, Corona took away someone of genuine 
like game changing impact that would change the spread, would change everything you think about the sport. And if this happens to eight or nine other teams, um, I mean, it's a very asterisk heavy type of season. That said, I mean, I think we agree and most do that like the league in general has really strived to be careful about this. I mean, they keep flexibly upgrading and changing protocols as they need to. And like the coaches have sort of said like, yeah, we're policing our players, but a lot of our, our players police themselves. And there are re- true professionals and leaders. And if, if you got to talk to a, a segment of the roster that maybe don't feel the same way you do about what to do with your time off, I, there's not a lot of reports about that. In general, you know, it's here and there, but um, the teams care. Now it's October. I, I do wonder where we'll be if things get gnarlier, but it's it's um, going to be this concern that lingers from here until the Super Bowl wraps. Well, and look, I mean, you know, you have players in this league, you know, we're going to make $20 million this year. And then you've got, you know, your 21 year old knuckleheads who may be 52, 53 men on the roster. And like, you know, and it, it wasn't ironic that it kind of happened with Tennessee who had some of, you know, players that were just weren't essentially towing the line as opposed to what they're, they were supposed to be doing. Um, but it's like, guys, um, you know, you know, you know, I'm taking this home. And, and I think a JC Treader, the, obviously your Brown center and your NFL players association president who's in a real conundrum right now. Um, and I know he's spending most of his time in you know a hotel near the stadium because his wife's pregnant. Um, he doesn't know enough. I mean, he's in a really, really difficult situation here. Um, but you know, he stands for all of these players stands in unison with them. And obviously everybody wants to make their money, but meanwhile, you know, a newlywed and has a pregnant wife at home. I mean, it just creates for some difficult situations getting a little bit tight on time, but Mark, we've had our first head coach, be relieved of his duties and Bill O'Brien. And this is what happens. I'm never a fan of giving someone head coach, general manager. And obviously, you know, there's a certain man in New England. It's probably worked out pretty well for, but it comes into a point where if one job, if this man holds two titles and he's maybe failing in one of the two titles, it, it just puts you in the worst of circumstances and then this is where you lead to with Bill O'Brien. Uh, it's a team that's 0-4, and you could say, all right, well, maybe if this isn't going very well, we can get some reinforcements in here next year. But because Bill O'Brien, the general manager, that's not going to be a possibility either. Yeah, I think that a like a healthy organization, you know, and Belichick as GM, they still have Nick Casario there, and he's you know they they've constantly had people that have done a lot of work in the front office. So it's not just Bill Belichick, but Bill in general being essentially the final answer throughout the organization is an unusual thing. It has to do with his longevity and, um, you know, winning a Super Bowl in year two there and then winning many since. So, I mean, it's completely understood. Trying to copycat that um, is tough. And I think Bill O'Brien's kind of from stop to stop. Good coach. I think he's a good on-field coach. I really do. But his issue he's made, had, he, he's made things out of nothing in his time down there. I think so too. And I think there's a reason that he's um, that certain ownership groups and certain teams in general and Bill O'Brien's name has come up in a lot of different circles before he got to Houston for a reason. I think that he's a, he's a good coach, but he also is um, someone that seems to consistently clash with players. And then when you put him into the front office role, you get the DeAndre Hopkins trade where it's like, you know, this just wasn't tenable. Well, was it not tenable because of DeAndre Hopkins or you or the combination of you two. And is that healthy? And they had Brian Gain come in as a general manager that um, was quickly fired, you know, in a weird way after 
they brought in this guy Jack Easterby, who's from the, he was the Patriots ex um, character coach or culture coach kind of guy, playing one of these unique roles inside the organization. He is now the VP of football operations with a lengthy contract, and he came in initially and kind of saw eye to eye with Bill O'Brien, and they, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien was put into the position he's in after post Brian Gain, and then what happens from there is the reports are now that Easterby stops seeing eye with to eye to eye with Bill O'Brien and the consistency around Bill O'Brien is there is going to be organizational drama and he is six years and four games into a stint that it's now over because I think everyone just had enough. And I think that this Jack Easterby individual got the ear of ownership and uh, then the change happens. It also wouldn't be happening if they were three and one. And part of it is, you know, yeah, you want to, Mm -hmm. you want to excuse the fact that they got the chiefs, the Ravens and the Steelers out of the gate. That is a schedule making nightmare, but then they go and lose to the Vikings too. And I I think that you get to a point where you got to think about your young quarterback. You got to think about the health of the organization with the way that players are traded for with draft picks in an age of analytics where, where you're going kind of counter to what certain teams you look around the league and see are doing in a smart way. Again, I think Bill O'Brien can get another job somewhere, but I think, you know, these guys just run out of steam. I mean, if the big winner is the Miami Dolphins right now because they own the first and second pick next April, and you've got Romeo Cornell coming in as an interim coach of an own four team that has a pretty terrible defense and a questionable, rather bland offense. So you know you could that that sort of screams if things get more chaotic, four and twelve, three and thirteen at best, maybe six and ten, and those picks become so much more valuable for the Dolphins, mm-hmm. and those trades look so much more pro Miami than they have at any other point. So, you know, you've got to think about who do you bring in? What structure is it? Um, They are very close inside that organization. Jack Easterby with Josh McDaniels, with Nick Casario from New England. That would have to be the lead dog, um, the lead duo to come in and take over that role. But whoever it's going to be there, whoever the candidate is, if it's a serious candidate, it's fair for them to have questions on how the Houston Texans will function going forward and probably not enter into that role unless it's very clear that it's going to be a cleaner structure. Yeah. And, um, and you go back to a similar situation when Deshaun got hurt his rookie year, which led to Denzel Ward becoming a number four over pick in a pick that the Browns held from the Houston Texans. Always folks, uh, always a pleasure having Mark Sessler join us here on locked on Browns, the around the NFL podcast and Mark and his crew. Um, itching to get back to work with everybody, with each other, uh, but he still continue to put out fantastic work, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, as we manipulate whatever this crazy ride of a 2020 NFL season is. Make sure you are checking out Lockdown Browns, iTunes and Spotify. Um, make sure you're subscribed, downloads, written, I mean, uh, written reviews, and of course, five-star ratings are always appreciated. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Found. LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.